my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. I'm going to begin today's show with a story of an entrepreneur who is bucking the system. It's going to be fun. But what's not fun is your fellow Americans are saying, charge it way too often right now. I'm worried about the amount of volume individuals are putting in charges on their credit cards. So, you ever had an Arizona iced tea? Arizona iced tea is a brand that's very familiar to me because it's always been a bargain if you're out and about and you're getting a refreshing cold beverage. And so, it's a can that is much larger than the typical can. It's, uh, I thought it was 24 ounces, but it's 23 ounce can. And there was a wonderful, well-researched story in the Los Angeles Times recently about how they have chosen not to raise the price, even though their costs for everything involved and making that tea, canning it, distributing it all their costs have gone up but they've kept the price 99 cents and that's always been their business model was to offer a better deal than other people and and when they started what they did was it was all about offering you more for less so snapple which has been kind of legendary in the ready to drink tea market used to be a buck. It was the same 99 cents as Arizona iced tea. But they gave you 16 ounces. Arizona iced tea gave you 23. Again, I always thought it was 24 ounces. And now that Snapple typically is a buck 80. And Coca-Cola and Pepsi are both in this business. And Coke's equivalent brand is two bucks. Pepsi's is 209. And you got Arizona iced tea staying at 99 cents. So this little company owned by an individual, an individual owns it, now sells one in every six ready-to-drink iced teas in the United States. I mean, that's unbelievable. When you think about going against these big, big companies, but this guy... It's on Long Island in New York. It's where the company is based. The guy is 70 years old now who started his name's Don Voltaggio. We ought to have Don on the podcast, Kristen, have him talk through how he came up with this lame idea to take on some of the biggest consumer products, food companies in the world and made lame actually work. Because, I mean, who does that, right? entrepreneurs do they find that weakness in the market and they go after it and they fill that unmet need in the marketplace and in his case don did that long ago and continues to do so and you think about him keeping the price at a buck even though his expenses have gone up and up and up especially lately with the general inflation on all the various components that he does. And I think this is really, really 
an impressive thing to at a time that people are hyper focused on the price remembering that this was this it was like me with the yogurt telling you you know the yogurt i get at aldi that had gone from 29 cents to 34 cents to 39 cents for a six ounce thing of yogurt and i'm really aware of those two price moves up a dime in this inflationary cycle here's a guy in aldi i can't pick on them because they're such an incredible business but this guy came up with his own way of doing it having this fixed price that is so much better than his competitors that he doesn't have to advertise it is his advertising that banner is that price that's why I, along with everybody else, it was such an easy target, picked on Dollar Tree so much when they went from being Dollar Tree to Dollar Twenty-Five Tree. It just that one still bothers me. I don't know why <laughs> the paying a dollar twenty-five bothers me so much at Dollar Tree versus paying the former dollar, but it is uh, it is something I, psychologically I haven't even been able to get around does that mean i am too thrifty well i would just say like years and years ago it could have been one cent tree right so long ago and eventually they had they would have had to change that or they couldn't stay in business and if you want them to stay in business you may have to have some acceptance around that let's go to you're some doing questions. like your own serenity prayer for no. me there that's what that <laughs> sounded like acceptance is key yes we have a question here from kurt in california please comment on Battleface for travel insurance i just heard about it on scott's cheap flights and would like to know your opinion yeah so Battleface is a very interesting and well thought out portal for buying travel insurance have you had a chance to look at it krista i no, really like it i have not so it doesn't give you the ability that some of the what are called the aggregators that sell trip insurance from many different providers. But what it does, it makes up for in simplicity and clarity. So when you go to Battleface to look at buying insurance, they've got a variety of trip-related insurance policies you can buy, and you see right away what it will cost and for whatever it is you're buying and the elements of coverage you actually have. They used a lot of... Um, I don't know if they're called pictograms or whatever, but where you just click on something for a type of travel coverage you're looking for, and then voila, it asks you some questions and gives you the cost of the coverage. So I love how they have been so transparent because that's always been a problem in the insurance industry is the lack of clarity and transparency in the purchase of insurance coverage. And Battleface certainly has conquered that. This is from Stacy in Georgia. My husband and I recently stayed at a hotel. After checkout, I was emailed a final receipt with a charge of $150 for miscellaneous revenue non-tax. I called to find out what this charge was for, and I was told it was for smoking in the room. I politely told the lady at the desk that we don't smoke. She also asked me to contact the manager in the morning, which I did after a few phone conversations with her and then the hotel chain's guest service, they still refuse to remove the charge. I guess I should reiterate that we don't smoke. I'm not sure if this is just a way for them to make more money or what, but I think charging my credit card for something we did not do is fraud. I want to warn future hotel guests of this unfair and possibly fraudulent business practice. 
How do we know it was one of their employees that smoked in the room after we left? Often, though, Stacy, it's actually a prior or subsequent guest, and somehow you are the one they picked on. So I have a rule when I get to a hotel and I go into a room and there's that stale smell that someone has smoked in a room, and you know, virtually every hotel in the country is a non-smoking hotel in its entirety. I go straight back to the front desk and say, hey, it appears somebody smoked prior in this room. I'd like another room. And if they say, I'm sorry, we're full. Uh, normally they give me another room, but if they say, sorry, we're full. I say, well, then I want it noted in the record that I complained about a smoke stench when I checked in the room. In your case, you had no reason to do anything like that because when you went to the room, you didn't smell any such thing. First thing you do now is you dispute the $150 charge with your credit card company. That will put it into a conversation with the hotel. Uh, We've had this repeatedly, not with hotels, but with car rentals, where we've heard over and over again from people that a stray charge for uh, up to $400 is the highest we've heard for someone supposedly smoking in a rental car. Again, most people don't smoke now. So this is a pretty rare event that it will be an actual smoker who was smoking in a car rental or smoking in a hotel room. And then in turn, by hotel policy or car rental policy, they get a valid charge against their card. But so often it'll be your case, Stacy. And in addition to everything you've done trying to work within the system, you need to post on social media and make it clear the problem you're having. Name the individual hotel. Did you name the hotel? No. You did not name the hotel or hotel chain. Anyway, you do so on social media and that will also generate a response from either the chain or the individual property. But get started with your credit card company is the first line of offense, not defense, doing that dispute of the charge. This is from Wally. My question deals with my bank and credit card issuers asking me to update my income. Should I do this every time they ask? Why or why not? All right. So what's going on here is the credit card companies are really worried with how much people's incomes have changed over the cycle of the pandemic with how much people have changed jobs and all that. People early in the pandemic, very heavy layoffs that you're not going to have the income to support the credit card credit limit you have. So this has gone from being an infrequent practice to almost every large credit card issuer in the country asks repeatedly for an update of income. And I go ahead and do it because my income has stayed fine. There's been no decline in my income. If your income's declined, probably not the best idea to update the income. But if your income has stayed the same or risen, do that update so that you're not facing the possibility of suddenly they shut off your credit card completely, cancel you as a customer, or greatly reduce your credit line because what they don't know is what they fear could hurt them. I thought I always thought they were trying to increase my credit lines by asking that. That's what they did at one time. Okay. Now it's about, think about the questions we've had about this. Yes. They've so heavily been about people getting notices that their card is now closed or that the limit is reduced. 
because the credit card companies in a time of rising interest rates and the moves of the Federal Reserve that give us a maybe one-third chance we're headed towards a recession, they're really worried about people's amounts of credit card debt, which ironically enough is what I'm worried about is how much credit card debt people are taking on. I want to talk about that coming up. The big money center banks have reported their most recent profits and something that came through in the profit statements from all the giant credit card issuers was that charge volume had gone way, way, way up on their credit cards that people are carrying. Not the number of cards they'd issued, the number of cards already out there, the amount people are charging per card has gone way up typically 25% or more over the last year. We are becoming, again, chargeaholics. And this is a big, big change from the behavior that people took on starting in the spring of 20, where people paid down balances at unprecedented rates and charge volume on credit cards essentially collapsed. The amount of total outstanding credit card debt in the country went way into reverse. And I think people were really surprised how much of their spending was truly discretionary instead of just had to be. So now people are spending like crazy on credit cards again and running up big balances at a time that the interest rates charged on credit cards will rise steadily over this year and into 23 because as the Federal Reserve raises the interest rates it controls, the prime rate goes up. Most credit cards are tied into a variable rate based on so many points above the prime rate. And so any balances you're carrying are going to be more expensive for you to get rid of because more and more of every dollar you pay will be going to service interest instead of the balance you have. So we as humans, we're not pack animals. But there's general trends that occur in a culture, in a society, in a country. And we zigged for a while, now we're zagging again. So I ask you to think about your own actions with plastic. Are you running balances that are increasing? Balances that you can't pay off in full when the bill comes in each month. If that's you, you are a sitting duck. And what you need to be about is instead of charging more on those cards, you need to maybe even stop using the cards till you can attack the balances you have and get those balances out of your life. I don't want you to find yourself in a position if the economy does slow and jobs maybe become more difficult to get, that you are in a position where you have the anxiety from the debts that you have added over the last year. So I ask you to really do something that is painful for us to do and has become more difficult because what have the banks convinced us to do? Overwhelmingly, the banks have convinced us to no longer get paper statements. You know, when the Postal Service was in its full meltdown last year, 
seemed like every bank out there was using it as an excuse to say, well, you want to get your bill on time, forget having us mail it to you, we'll email it to you, it'll be so wonderful. And you know what happens with an email bill? Where with a paper bill, people will actually look, more likely than not, at their individual charges. When they get an e-bill, they only look at the balance or the minimum payment due. They don't actually look at the individual charges they had because it's more difficult with an e-bill by far than it is with a paper bill. So know that that was not as your friend. That was as your adversary, that the banks did that, conning you to go to e-statements on your credit cards because Consumer behavior being what it is, that when you don't really face what you're spending the money on, you're more likely to keep spending the money. When you see what you're spending your money on and that your spending maybe is a little too robust, you're more likely to change your behavior. So if you turned off paper statements, go turn them back on if you're running balances. I want you to have that forced behavior. When that bill comes in, you open that envelope and face the music. Look at each charge. Look at each page and see where your money's going and then get it under control. Krista? All right. We'll go to some questions. This first one is about credit cards. It's from Cindy in California. I have too many credit cards. I have most down to zero balances and I want to use them for spending and bill paying. I would like to close some and keep the best ones for points and cash back. Is this a good idea or do you have other suggestions? Yeah. So Cindy, what you do with cards you're thinking of jettisoning, getting rid of, however you say that, is you don't get rid of them because doing so could significantly affect your overall credit score because of what's known as availability of credit, which ends up computing to almost a third of your overall credit score. So what you do is you let those cards just kind of sit there and don't use them. The best strategy is to use each of them twice a year for even a little charge, just so you keep them active. But you want those cards to stay in your life. The only exception would be if you have what's known as a monoline. Those are junk credit cards, which is where they're for a specific retailer and they don't have a Visa or MasterCard or American Express or Discover logo on the card, those are considered to be junk credit. Those are not of value. They can be a detriment to you. So any store cards that you find you don't use, you can close those. But again, if they do have a tie-in on the card, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover, don't close that either because then that's not a monoline. It is a traditional general purpose credit card. You want to keep them in your life. This is from Jason in New York. I think I'm a Clarkaholic. (laughs) Okay, so I got a rejection letter in the mail from a large financial institution about my application for a Venmo credit card. The problem is I didn't apply for one. The cause for denial was due to my credit being frozen, thanks to you. Do I have anything else I need to worry about here? Jason, you need to watch your credit like a hawk right now. Um, Watch what goes on with your identity very closely. Now, the, the credit freeze system worked in your case. It worked as it should. But because of a change that Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian have made in how you thaw credit files, 
it's become easier for identity theft people to crack in to the three credit bureaus and thaw your credit without your knowledge and then apply for credit as if they're you. As a result, it's become more important than ever for you to set up a Credit Karma account where you're able to monitor at least two of the three major credit bureaus and you will be notified easily and immediately if there is any application for credit on your account. Now, here's the funny thing. Credit Karma, you're going to have to temporarily thaw all three of your credit files just to be able to set up the Credit Karma account. But then they can refreeze immediately and you'll have that early warning system because the credit freeze system is still great, just not as solid as it was before the changes that the credit bureaus made, which no longer require a secret, unique code for each bureau and each person as was required before. And this is from Earl in Utah. My understanding is that the T-Mobile bank account does not have a provision that allows you to designate a beneficiary or a payable on death designee. Wouldn't this create a problem for heirs at the time of the account holder's passing? Earl, okay, I got to congratulate you because no one has ever asked me this question about any fintech. Fintech is any non-bank pseudo-bank which T-Mobile money is. It's not a bank. T-Mobile has these really great deals on savings and spending accounts, and they have a bank of convenience behind the scene that they don't own that handles all the uh, basic nuts and bolts of operating bank-type accounts. And this is not just T-Mobile money. This is true for virtually any of these online bank-type organizations. So usually you're not going to have the ability to do a beneficiary designation or a POD, payable on death. So the way this is handled is in your will. In your will, if you say who's going to get what, then everything will be fine. Without a will, what happens, uh, so many people die without a will, is then the laws of your state would determine who would have access to the money that is in that T-Mobile money account. So I want to tell you something. I love your questions, and I love being able to give advice that's about something, hey, I, might, I never thought about that. I never knew. But what if you have a very, very specific individual question, concern, or problem? I want you to know that we provide one-on-one advice to you been doing so for almost 30 years it's free to get and i want you to know that when you want that free one-on-one counseling advice all you got to do is go to clark.com slash cac i also want to ask something of you if you're enjoying the podcast hearing it watching it whichever you do or sometimes you hear or sometimes you watch whatever you do hope you'll rate us review us Let us know what we're doing well, what you wish we could do better. And if you're enjoying what you get from us, please share that we're here to serve you with others that you think could benefit. Have a great day. 